Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit NBCOcala.com slash stories to share your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's Word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Go ahead, help me welcome our online audience. Go ahead and say, say hey to someone again by you. Slap them a five. Tell them you're glad they're here. Well, I said it last week, but I love the midweek crew. Um, Sundays, you know, Sunday is, is the church day, right? You know, everyone goes to church on Sunday, but there's something extra special about Wednesday, and, and we believe that Wednesdays are worth it. By you investing an hour out of your week to be here, I believe that God's going to honor that. He's going to meet you where you're at, and you're going to leave here equipped and uh, leaving with something that's going to bear fruit in your life. So we're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us for the first time, my name's Lee Gilligan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here, and it's always a privilege to be able to uh, be with you and to, to share what God has put on my heart. And um, Pastor Tim sends his regards. He sends his love. Every day he's getting stronger. Every day he's getting better, and uh, last time he was here, he let you know that he was going to find out Monday if he got his back brace off. And so Monday, we were anxiously waiting kind of for the word. He went to his appointment by himself, and and so we got this text in our family log, and it was just a picture, and I'll show you the picture. There it is. So, So that is his fancy back brace in front of the tire of his SUV. And so obviously the, the news was good. He got it off and, and we said, were you really going to run it over? Yeah. <laughs> so you're really going to run it over? And he says, as much as I wanted to, I'd rather take it home, set it up on the fence and shoot it. So <laughs> if you guys want some target practice, come on over. We'll be, we'll be shooting his, his brace. But he's, he's every day getting better. And uh, thank you for your continued prayers for him. And, uh, but anyways, he's not here tonight, but I'm here and I'm excited about what God's going to do. Can I be honest with y'all for a second? Okay, so like I, I preach off my fancy dancy, you know, my iPad, but there's like this little inkling in the back of my mind that what if I get up here and this thing goes on the fritz, right? We spend all this money on technology and then, and then what if it breaks? So I always have a printed copy <laughs> of my notes that I so conveniently tuck behind there. You guys never know it. Pastor Haran is now doing the same thing. I said, hey, do you preach off your iPad? He said, yeah. I said, you might want to have a backup just in case. And today I was studying, and my iPad went on the fritz, and I was like, yep, see? You never, you never know what's going to happen. But um, I'm, I'm very excited about what, what I have to share tonight. I want to share a message with you called Reverse the Lie. Can you say that with me? Reverse the lie. Reverse the lie. And I believe that there are lies in our life that all of us have believed at some time or another. Things that you've believed about yourself that you may not even be aware it is there. It's, it's become a belief in your life. It's just something that, that you have allowed to, to take root, and, and it's kind of something that's been there, and you just say, well, this is how it's always going to be. Because of something that happened in your life, something you believed, and how it's led to certain behaviors in your life. And so tonight I believe that God wants to reveal some things to you about maybe some of the lies that you've believed. And uh, tonight we're going to reverse that lie. Amen. We're going to reverse that lie. And you know, it's cool because they've had their songs planned for, for weeks, and I'm just amazed just how, how God will, will speak through that. Just, the, the, you know, that the spirit of the living God changes everything. 
changes the way we see, the way we seek. And, and really, a lie is, is believing something or seeing something the wrong way, something that's not true, something that's the opposite of what God says about you. And the Spirit of the living God wants to change that. Uh, just just the, singing that song, Surrender, that, that my prayer tonight is that you would surrender whatever it is that has, has become a stronghold in your life. But do we have anyone here who, you, you don't got to raise your hand if you don't want to, but I'll be the first one. Uh, growing up, I was a hypochondriac. Do we have any hypochondriacs? Okay, it's all good. Maybe we could start a small group, Hypochondriacs Anonymous or something. <laughs> I found out Pastor Ryan Fraser, he's also a hypochondriac, so we've bonded greatly around that. But I'm not so much a hypochondriac anymore, but growing up, I, I very much was. And if, you, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, it's just like the irrational fear or worry about uh, symptoms in your body. Like every little symptom is something that, that you, you're always afraid of getting sick or afraid of getting hurt. Or, and when you do experience pain or something, you automatically assume the worst. Um, if you're here and you've ever Googled symptoms or, or gone to WebMD and searched your <laughs> symptoms, don't do it, okay? Because what happens is it, it doesn't really boil anything down. If anything, it just opens up this Pandora's box of all the things that might be wrong with you. And always on the list is like the, the big things, you know, cancer and, and, and heart disease. Those always show up. And so it doesn't matter what else it might be, your eye immediately goes to, to the big ones. And it just spurs on fear. But growing up, I was, I was a hypochondriac. And, and usually what it was was you never have the symptoms. You start worrying about something. You become so fixated on it. And then you convince yourself you have it. I've shared with you all before about how I convinced myself I had insomnia. We were... We were planning to go on a trip, and it was the night before we left on the trip, and everyone's in bed, but I was excited. I was like an 11-year-old boy. I'm, I'm ready to go on this trip, and because of my excitement, I couldn't get to sleep. So I kept getting out of bed, kept going in and asking my dad stuff, and finally he said, if you don't go to sleep, you're not going on the trip. So that was it. Now that there was something on the line, I convinced myself I'm, I can't fall asleep. I can't. I have insomnia, and I just laid there all night afraid I wasn't going to go on this trip. And for weeks, this went on where I would just lay in bed for hours on end because I had insomnia. Uh, I don't know how, how nerves manifest for, for each one of you, but a lot of people, it, it manifests in your gut, right? You get nervous, and you, and you feel it in your gut, your, your GI tract. And so when I was younger, I remember being at, at Disney World. We're waiting for this roller coaster, and as soon as we got in line, long line, a lot of people— it's like as, I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but as soon as I realized there wasn't a bathroom immediately nearby, I had to go to the bathroom, right? Can you relate? Don't raise your hand. And so we're waiting in this long line, and the first couple minutes I told my dad, I said, I think I have to go to the bathroom. He's like, are you kidding me? No, we're, we're in line. We're going to go on the ride. So I was like, all right. And so for the rest of the time, I was going back and forth whether I had to go to the bathroom or not. I kept re-upping. I'm good. I'm good. No, I got to go again. And so finally we get up to the, the, the roller coaster comes into the bay, the little gate opens, and I go to get into it, and I'm like, i got to go to the bathroom. So I hop over this rail, I'm about to go up the emergency exit, and my dad's already on the coaster looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And then I, did, I, I ended up jumping back over the rail, got on, I rode the ride, turned out I never had to go to the bathroom. It was just, you know, my hypochondriac tendencies. <laughs> and I remember different episodes of this all through, through my upbringing. And my dad many times would look at me and say, you need freedom. <laughs> you need freedom. You need to get free from this. And, and so tonight I'm here to tell you that you need freedom. You need freedom. There's things in your life that you need freedom from. It may not be hypochondria. It, it may not be some of the same things I'm talking about. That's just kind of a lighthearted analogy to just introduce this concept that there's things in our life 
uh, patterns or behaviors that at times have become controlling, and we've just accepted them as reality, and you need to be free. I need, there's things in my life I need freedom from. You see, freedom really is a process. I believe that Jesus made freedom available to us, and it's an ongoing process that we walk out with his help. And, and some of you, you may say, well, who is this guy to tell me that I need freedom? You know, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I'm, I'm going through. He, you know, I'm, I'm good, right? But here's the deal. The, the, the playing field is, is even. Paul said in Romans 3.23, I believe, he said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've, we've all messed up. We, we, we've all, you know, done things that, that we've been ashamed of. And, and God's not surprised by any of that. Sin is the thing, it's the, the qualifier for freedom, okay? We live in a fallen world. And because it's a sinful uh, world and we have a sinful nature, I, I think that's something that qualifies us for freedom. Our sins don't just affect us. Our sins affect those around us. And what happens a lot of times is once you choose to become a believer, you, you no longer want to be identified by your sinful nature, Right? The good news is you don't have to be. Amen. Jesus paid the price. He closed the gap. He took the things that we couldn't carry. He made a new way. And so we are no longer defined by our sinful nature. But what happens is when we become a believer, we, we so badly don't want to be defined as a sinner uh, that sometimes even when sin exists, we're living in denial to the fact that it's there. And it's very easy to get into to denial, especially when it's regarding lies that we believed and we're not even uh, intentionally sinning. And, I, and you'll see here in a bit wh- where I'm going with this. Um, but yeah, anyways, so this is what I want you to do is I want you to kind of look at what I have to share w- with fresh eyes. Y'all know, like when, when you look through a window, if a window is smudged or if it's streaky or if it's cloudy, if it's dirty at all, it affects your ability to see clearly what's on the other side of that window, right? So the same is true, uh, figuratively speaking, about, about us, our heart, our soul, uh, the, the way we think and we believe. A lot of times there's like a contact lens that has almost clouded up our window. And we're very quick to uh, assess other people and assess what they need to fix in their life and very quick to kind of look over our, our, our own issues. I read this story and, and it says this. There were two couples who lived next door to each other. One mom was into everything new and convenient. The other was a back-to-nature kind of woman. She had her own garden, and the day came when she strung a clothesline outside to drip-dry her hand-washed laundry that she washed with her homemade detergent. I know a few ladies like that. She liked to hang her laundry every Saturday morning. This was the day that the other family would sleep in late, and they'd get up and enjoy a late breakfast of Eggo waffles directly from their new toaster. While the other mom was slaving over the toaster, she said to her husband, Would you look at that? Her laundry isn't even clean. It still looks dirty. She needs a front-loading washer like we have. Several Saturdays went by, and each time the same thing repeated. The mom making the waffles would point out how dirty the other mom's laundry looked, until one day, to her surprise, the modern mom looked out and saw sparkling clean laundry. She remarked to her husband, Well, thank goodness, at least she's using a new washer or, or detergent. Her laundry finally looks clean. Her husband replied, No, that's not it. I finally just washed our windows. And so that's kind of what I'm asking you to do tonight. Maybe just wash your window. Engage your, in your, engage your heart. Don't try to reason with me tonight. Don't, don't start off with your defenses up and saying, I don't need freedom. I'm good. I got it together. Kind of just wipe the window. Uh, don't think about others as I'm talking. Think about yourself. Engage your heart and not your mind. And so I'm, I'm up here saying you need freedom. Let me kind of explain what freedom is. You know, freedom is, it's a Bible thing, Okay. 
Freedom is a, a, a Jesus thing. Jesus came to bring freedom in our lives. In John 8, 31 through 36, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. They answered him, But we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. So this is, this is good news. Yeah, amen. This is good news. This is what Jesus came to do to bring freedom for us. And really when it says that the truth will set you free, ultimately what this means is that when we um, believe the truth about Jesus and what he came to do in our life, then we have spiritual freedom over the bondage of sin in our life, okay? And so Jesus, he's saying this. Well, the, the, the people respond back and they say, what? Well, we, you know, we're from the lineage of Abraham. We've, we've never been enslaved. We, we've never, you know, we, we don't need freedom. Who are you to say that we, we need freedom? In essence is what they're saying. They had a, a pride or an overconfidence about their ancestry, about their origins. And I think a lot of times we can be the same way. I've been a Christian. I, I, I'm a believer. I'm a mature believer. I've, I've helped people. I've, I've done good things. I don't even sin that much. Who are you to... Tell me I need freedom. And, and, and so Jesus, he, he goes on and he says to them, he says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. I said it again. I'll, uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. We're, we're all sinners, okay? God's not caught off guard by that. But the, the good news is this, that once we partake of a, the divine nature with Jesus, uh, we are no longer a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever and the son sets you free. You are free Indeed, it's kind of cool because in that time, slaves, uh, they, they would serve in a household for six years and then they were freed in the seven year. That's kind of cool. That's like God's number, the, the, the seventh year. But, but the, the good news for you is that you are no longer enslaved to your sin. Because of Jesus and because of what he came to do, you have spiritual freedom over the bondage of sin. And only he can remain forever in your life. Amen. Okay, so, so here's the deal then. Really what Jesus is saying is freedom is not so much about our sins. It's not about how much we sin, how little we sin, or that we stop sinning. Uh, Because freedom is not defined by what is absent. Freedom is defined by who is present. See, we get it backwards. We so often focus on what we're doing or what we're not doing. We focus on being self-righteous and in our performance and works and our behavior. And freedom is not defined by what is or isn't present. It's not the what, it's the who, right? So rather than trying to modify our behavior, we should be seeking to know him more. In Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It doesn't say to get your behavior in line, get these sins out, and then these things will be added unto you. No, it says seek him first. Seek his kingdom. Seek righteousness. Last week I shared out of Jeremiah 29, I believe it was 13. He says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It doesn't say you will find me once you clean up and and, and you're perfect and you stop sinning. No. Again, the focus is on him. Freedom is defined by who is present. 2 Corinthians 3.17, or as Donald Trump so eloquently put it, 2 Corinthians 3.17. I'm still amazed at some of our candidates, but... That aside, it says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's the presence of Jesus in our life. That's where freedom 
is. And, and so in our life, I think that there's some sins that have taken place, so, some life-controlling patterns that you haven't been intentionally sinning, but at some point you believed a lie that led to a certain behavior that has just become part of who you are. And so tonight I, I want, I, my prayer is that God through me would expose that, help you to identify maybe what that pattern is, where it originated. And tonight, like I said, we're going to reverse that lie and we're going to start the process to get free from that. But guess what? The enemy does not want you free. He wants you to stay in bondage. He wants strongholds to remain in your life. And why do you think that is? Why do you think he would want us to be in denial or to, to think that we don't need freedom? Or, or, you know, we have such a resistance to counseling, such a, you know, I don't need help. Why, why do you think that is? Why would the enemy encourage that? Because free people, free people. You've heard it said that, that hurt people, hurt people. Well, the same is true on the other side. Free people, free people. Once you are free, then you can help other people find that same freedom in Christ. But as long as you are in bondage and believing the lies of the enemy, he can hold you captive and he'll keep you from helping anyone else to find that freedom. So I want to tonight kind of walk you through um, what a stronghold looks like. Uh, You hear that word stronghold, and immediately you probably think of some life-controlling addiction to to pornography or drugs or sex. And you think something super serious. You say, you know, I don't don't have any strongholds in my life. But if, if we were to look at the simple definition of what a stronghold is, it's this. A place that has been fortified to protect against attack. A stronghold is a place or a structure that has been fortified to protect against an attack. So now let's look at ourselves. What strongholds might we have? We are that place that is protecting ourselves against an attack. Think of a past pain or something that's happened to you. And so we have certain coping behaviors that we don't look at them as a sin. It's a defense. And really that's our stronghold. That's our way of protecting from past pain or for, from experiencing that attack again. And so I want to walk you through what is called the anatomy of a stronghold. And they're going to put this... Put this slide up here. The anatomy of a stronghold. We're going to keep this up for the next few minutes as I talk through this because I really want you all to have this visual and how this cycle works and so you can identify where it's at work in your life. Usually it always starts with an event. Starts with an event. You can think back in your life, back to when you were young, back to many years ago. You could be 75 years old and you can think back 60-something years and say, you remember an event that took place in your life that marked you in a way that it changed the way you believed. It, it changed the way you behaved. Right now, as you think about it, 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 you can feel emotions rise up in you and you have negativity attached to that event. I think for all of us, there's not just one event, but there's probably many things that have happened in our life, many events. Life happens, okay? Life has happened to us. Life is not always peaches and ponies and rainbows and butterflies. You know, we live in a fallen world and there's things that happen. And so this event is usually typically negative in nature. It usually has hurt associated to it or, or, or trauma associated with it. It, it could be something um, that you did experience that was negative or maybe a positive experience that, that you didn't get to partake of. Maybe it, uh, your, your family was broken, you didn't have your, your parents in the home, and so you didn't experience that or, or you did experience something negative. It could be uh, disappointment. It could be an event where your trust was broken. It could be abuse physically, sexually, verbally. Could have been a divorce, either a divorce you were in, a divorce that you, you were children you didn't understand and, you, and your, your family was ripped apart. It could be words that were spoken to you that to this day 
makes you feel that big. I don't know what that event looks like for you, but it's important that we identify the event because what happens is when that negative event takes place, it leads to the second phase of this stronghold, and that is the lie. When you're hurt, your defenses usually are low. Your guard is down. And if you don't know the truth of God's word and what God believes about you, what he says about you, then you will quickly buy into a lie. It's a lie of the enemy, and it's usually a lie that he plants in you, but you build it because what happens is we want to assign meaning to the event. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen then? Why my family? Why this? And so we begin to reason and we we want to assign meaning and understand why that event took place. But what happens is we usually end up buying into a lie. We inherit or embrace this lie. And the next thing we know, it it becomes a, a core part of our belief. We go through life thinking this is just how it is. Lies are are scary because what they do is if you believe a lie, it can affect how you, uh, what you believe about God. It can affect what you believe about yourself, what you believe about others. And those are all connected because think about it. If you were hurt by a parent or or, or a figure that you trusted greatly in your life and, and say it was your dad and you said, if I couldn't trust my dad, how can I trust anyone else? If I couldn't trust my father, how can I trust God? You see how that lie works? It trickles into everything else. It affects your trust. It affects what you believe. It affects how you see and perceive the world around you. And it's time again that we reverse that lie. So what happens is the negative event takes place. You buy into a lie and then you so badly don't want to face that pain again or or experience that attack again that you develop a defense a, a behavior, a pattern. Really, it's a, a comfort, something you latch hold onto. And this really is the core of the stronghold because this is the thing that we practice. This, whether we know it or not, is where the sin creeps in because we're looking to something else other than God to protect us from pain or from the attack. And so I'm going to read through maybe some things for you um, that, that might resonate as far as how you've coped with pain. And this is not everything, but this is a, a pretty pretty good list. Maybe, maybe your defense is acting out. We see this a lot of times in children where they are hurt and their way of coping or, or, or guarding against the pain is to act out for attention, even if that means negative attention. And it's not always just kids. I, I've seen adults that, that behave very much the same way. Maybe for you, your, your defense is, is anger, that you, you often act in a, an aggressive or hostile way because it somehow helps you manage the pain. I'll be honest, there's seasons in my life where I have dealt with anger, where I, I look in the mirror and I, I see someone that I don't like. And it's forced me, even, even in recent years, it's forced me to walk this process, to go back and say, what lie have I believed that has led me to this defense to think that this is the answer, that, that, that this has crept in and this is the way that I would cope with that pain? Where, where did this stem from? Maybe anger is a, a stronghold for you. Maybe it's blame. Maybe you go through life and you don't take ownership for anything. Instead, because you've been hurt, you cast blame on everyone else and everything that you can to deflect off yourself. It's a way of protecting yourself. Maybe for you, the defense could be busyness. We've seen people that are busy. And I'm not saying that just because you're busy that that's a defense. But there's definitely people, and maybe this is you tonight, where you constantly engage in ceaseless activity. Because we all know that once you slow down, once you're quiet, once you rest, that's when it's just you and whatever's going on in here and here. 
And if I stay busy, if I have stuff going on, then I don't have to face that pain. And so we just stay busy and we stay social and we always have something going on because it's a defense against that pain. Maybe for you, it's control. You look back to that event and you, you realize you had no control. And so you spend your life trying to control every little thing around you. Every situation, every detail, or maybe the way that manifests is that you take responsibility for other people's problems. You yourself are a mess, but it somehow helps you to cope by saying, if I can fix that person, then I'll be okay. And that's a level of control. Maybe it's denial or or minimization that you look back to that event, you're aware of it. You know the lie you've believed maybe, but your defense, your guard is that you just downplay it. You're in denial about it. You, you minimize it or say, it's not really that big of a deal. It doesn't, doesn't affect me that much. You put on the tough guy personality and, and try to downplay what happened. Maybe it's fantasy. We've, you've seen those people that, that, that at work or, or that walk by in public, and you're like, are they okay? Like, like are, they, are they with what's going on around here? They seem like they're not in touch with reality. They'll go off into a daze, and they are in another world. They literally mentally disconnect, and that is a form of fantasy. It's a way of guarding yourself against pain. I'm not saying you can't dream. I'm not saying you can't daydream, but you, you see what I'm saying there. Maybe it's excessive reasoning. We are analytical beings, and so maybe you lay in, in bed at night or, or on your commute or wherever you're at, you're constantly replaying that event. You're trying to assign meaning to it. You, you, you replay the details. You analyze it. You obsess over it, trying to figure out why that happened to you. Maybe your defense is isolation. You withdraw from anyone and anything. You avoid being social. You almost have hermit-like behavior because that is your way of putting up a wall to avoid being hurt. Medication, this is a huge one. And I'm not talking just about drugs. Yes, it could be drugs, could be cigarettes, could be alcohol, could be prescription uh, drugs or or painkillers, but it could also be food. It could be beverage. It could be any form of gluttony. It could be uh, sex. It could be any high that you partake in to fill the void to numb the pain. Maybe it's uh, rejection. You look back at that event and you were rejected And so because of that, you spend your life rejecting others. It empowers you and gives you a false sense of feeling like you've guarded yourself from the pain. Maybe it's withholding trust. This is a huge one, one we see a lot. Someone hurt your trust. They broke your trust. And so the way you guard yourself against being hurt again is that you don't trust anyone. You don't trust anyone. A man hurt you, you say, I don't trust men. Uh, your, your mom hurt you, 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 you don't trust women. It, it, whoever it was took advantage of you. And what you've done is you live your life in a way where you don't trust anyone. You don't make yourself vulnerable. You don't put yourself out there. If you withhold it, you think no one can hurt me. And that's a, that is a, a, a false defense. I could keep going and, and, and maybe I've hit yours. Maybe it's got you thinking enough about it that you are, you are zeroing in maybe on what that pattern has looked like for you. But this is what I want you to know is that none of these are God's plan for freedom in your life. None of these will produce the type of freedom that you desire. None of these will take away the pain the way that Jesus can. This is not freedom how Christ intended. And so what happens is there's the event, the lie. It produces the behavior, the defense. And then that leads to the fourth part of the the anatomy of a stronghold. That is the reaction. This is how other people react to your behavior. And, and you're aware right now, as I'm listing some of these things, you're aware of people who maybe act out, 
or, or, or express anger or who control people around them or withhold trust. You can think of other people. And so you've probably had instances where you've reacted to that behavior. But what so often happens is that when people react to the defense, in many cases, it just reproduces the event for someone. People don't usually respond positively. They react negatively. This reproduces the event. It perpetuates the cycle, and the stronghold just keeps going and going. You see how that works? And so many times we can recognize the cycle repeating in our life. We can recognize it repeating in others. But our approach to solve it is always focused on the wrong thing because, again, it goes back to behavior. We result back to to the sin, to the defense. We're looking at the wrong thing. And and really, it's about Jesus and what he came to do. And as long as we're just addressing the behavior and trying to change that, and we're not getting to the root of it, which is the lie that we believed, nothing's going to change. This is circular causality. It's what keeps it going. Really, this is insanity. You know what the definition of insanity is? It's doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And here we are finding ourselves in this loop of a stronghold where, where, where this event has taken place. We've believed a lie. We, we act in a certain way to protect ourselves. People react negatively, and it perpetuates the whole thing over and over again. And what I want you to know is that God wants you to be free from that stronghold in your life. Now, there is, there's, there's false ways that we try to accomplish freedom. Obviously, this is a big one, our, our defenses. But a lot of times we think that if we can change certain things, we'll find freedom, right? If I, if I change my environment, then I will have freedom. If I can just leave this relationship, if I can just leave this job, if I can just, just pack up and, and move to the other side of the country, I can, I can find freedom. I can, I can just walk away from this. And really, that, that doesn't change anything. We have this grass is greener mentality. The grass is greener on the other side. No, the grass is greener where you water it. And so if you have heart issues, if you have pain, if you have defenses in your life, just because you change who you're around or where you're at, those things are still going to follow with you. I can speak from experience. We moved out to Texas a few years back, moved back a year ago. I didn't go because I was running from something. We, we, went, we went because we felt God leading us out there, and, and he did some incredible things in our life and ultimately brought us back here, and I'm seeing that purpose unfold all the time. But there was, I think, in my naivety, I thought some of the things I had dealt with personally, that by being in a new place around new people doing different stuff, that somehow that, that would just fall off. And guess what? I woke up and I was dealing with the same issues. I was dealing with the same pains. Changing your environment, changing your scenery, changing your relationships, that doesn't bring freedom. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, he said, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Do you know his circumstances when he wrote that? He was sitting in prison in shackles. That is not the physical picture of freedom. But Paul was free because he knew where freedom came from. And that's an incredible example for us. And so here's the deal. If someone or something can keep you from becoming who God created you to be, then then you're a victim. And God didn't create victims. God did not create us to be victims, so that debunks the lie. As long as you are giving someone so much credit that you say this person or this thing has kept me from being free, that makes you a victim. That makes you in bondage to that thing, and he came to bring freedom. He did not create you to be a victim. Second thing, we'll get back to to this. We've we've touched on this several times, but it's our behavior. Again, it comes back to our behavior. If I could just change my behavior, and I'll find freedom. For so long, we've we believed the lie that, that behavior modification is possible. I'm not saying that you can't improve. I'm not saying that you can't, you know, break certain things in your life. But what, what happens is we think that just because someone walks down this aisle and they accept Jesus, that all of a sudden, okay, now you're saved. Go and change everything that you've done, right? 
We, we, we give people a list of do's and don'ts, and this is right living, and this is sinful living, and we expect that by focusing on that, we're going to just change overnight. But that just makes us sin conscious. That just makes us focused on the behavior and the performance. And again, it goes back to what I said. We need to seek Jesus. We need to be fixed on him, and it is through the presence of his spirit that we are empowered by the spirit to have freedom over the bondage of sin. Stop focusing on the behavior and focusing on him and who he created you to be. It takes more than willpower. It takes more than good intentions. What we focus on doesn't produce lasting change. Who we focus on is what produces lasting change. Our beliefs are so important. They're so much, so much more uh, important than our thoughts. You know, we have fleeting thoughts all the time. We, we, we have things that go on in, in our head, and we can put language to those things. We can express those things. I've, I've read that you have anywhere between 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day, and that's crazy. I don't know how, what it is for people who are ADD like me, but what you have to realize is that beliefs are stronger than thoughts. And if you're believing in a lie, if you're believing in the wrong thing, that produces a stronghold. A belief is, doesn't reside in your, in your thinking. A, a belief resides in your heart. A belief has power over your thinking. You may not even know that that belief is there because it's so foundational. Thus, the lie. Thus, the lie. The thing you've been believing all along that you didn't even realize was there. That thing that has served as a filter or as a contact lens around your heart, which really has dictated the way you lead your life. It's time that we replace that lie with the truth about what God says concerning us. A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if we're believing a lie, very likely it could have altered our view of what we believe about God. Because what we believe about God affects what we believe about others, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about what happens in our lives. And the biggest thing you need to know is that God loves you. He accepts you. He approves of you. He wants to see you free. And here's the deal. The the true problem is not the event. The true problem really is not even so much the lie. The true problem is idolatry. Okay? And I want you to think about that. It's idolatry. Uh, Really, that's when when we are putting anything else before God. And, And so we have looked to a defense to provide something that only God can bring. We have looked to a behavior to safeguard ourselves or protect ourselves from pain when only God can do that. And where a stronghold exists, you've made something else your comfort. Y'all get that? Where a stronghold or a defensive behavior, a comfort, a cycle exists in your life, you have made that your comfort when it needs to be God. So if the, only, if the true problem is idolatry, then the true solution is repentance. And I'm not talking about, God, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. I'm not talking even about repenting of your behavior. But what I'm talking about is changing the way you perceive reality. Changing that lie, reversing that lie, and replacing it with a new truth. You can't change what happened to you, but you can change what you believe about it. You can't change the event, but you can change the lie. And tonight I ask you, what lie is it that you've been believing? I want to invite my wife Katie to come up here and We're going to walk you kind of through an exercise between you and between God to reverse that lie. Y'all ready to get free? (laughs) 
Are you? Um, it's funny, I was sitting over there just praying for y'all before we did this, and um, even through Lee's message, I felt like some of you have already started to see an event or something. God brought something up in a few of you, and automatically you said, no, I'm not going there, I'm not dealing with it, or I already dealt with it, it's done, and um, I felt like the Lord was like, it's time to deal with it again, it's time to close the door, it's time to really get free in this area. So just be open, um, what, what the, whatever the Lord wants to tell you tonight, um, because his spirit is here, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And um, so I'm just going to walk you through, um, there's two parts where we tear down the lie. Um, we're just going to be in attitude of prayer and listening to what the Lord has to say. And then the second part is where we tear down the defense, where we've built up our walls. Um, so if you could just close your eyes. And maybe if you want to raise your hands, whatever you want to do, whatever you feel comfortable. Um, thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here. We thank you, Lord. Lord, you want to speak to your children. Lord, you care about every fiber of our being. Lord, you want to see us free. We thank you for your spirit. It changes us. We're just going to invite God in. And um, invite God to remind you of that event, of that lie. And some of you are just seeing it now. And there's pain attached to it. You can cry. Um, ask him to tell you what lie you may have believed when that event happened. Confess that you have believed the lie and repent. Thank you. Receive his forgiveness and renounce the lie. Ask the Lord to tell you the truth about this memory. Receive and confess the truth. Whatever that lie is, confess the truth. And we're going to tear down the defense. Ask the Lord how you learned to protect yourself from pain or to seek comfort when that event happened. Confess any self-protection and re repent of this defense. Receive his forgiveness and renounce being your own defender. Invite the Lord to be your true defender. Ask him to show you a picture of what it looks like for him to protect you and comfort you. And for some of you, this is hard because you feel like God hasn't protected you. And he hasn't comforted you. But he is the ultimate comforter. Believe 
and receive his protection and his comfort. We thank you, Lord. Lord, the things that you showed us tonight, Lord, you're going to go back and you're going to go back in that memory and whatever fear, whatever hurt was attached to that, Lord, you're going to put yourself in that memory. You're going to put yourself where that lie began and you're going to replace it with truth. We thank you, Lord, that you are the finished product. We don't have to be a finished product, Lord, but you are for us. And where we lack, Lord, you you make up for it. We praise you. We thank you for being our father, our defender, our protector. And we thank you for what you've done here tonight. Lord, that we will walk out of this building changed. We don't need years of counseling. We need a moment with you, Lord. And I know you were here tonight. And I thank you for what you've done and for your spirit and that we are free in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala. 